You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News, and today... It is the last podcast reviewing and talking about Pacers games of the 2020-21 season because the Pacers lose to the Washington Wizards. Sorry, sorry. The Pacers get slaughtered by the Washington Wizards and lose their season. Don't make the playoffs out of the play-in tournament. Joining me on the other line to talk Pacers season over, Nate Bjorkren's future and the season as a whole compared to expectations. Former Indy Cornrows rider extraordinaire Adam Friedman. Adam, how's it going? You know, I expect them to lose. Well, I guess I said Tuesday I thought they'd win, but like re- really in the back of my mind, I-, I thought they would lose. So it wasn't that disappointing of a loss, but it's still kind of kind of a bum way to end the end of the year, though. No real fight. I thought they would win, and I said as much on with you and with our Wizards preview guy because they've been playing better recently, and I thought, given the way they played against Charlotte, that they knew how to make a game plan and adjust for a best-of-one game. And then... They played the exact same defensive game plan that they played the other three times against the Wizards this season. And Joe Beckman tweeted this stat at me, so I get to say it on the pod now. Thank you, Joe. Four games against the Wizards this season, the Pacers gave up 561 points. That is 140 points, over 140 points per game. Absolutely inexcusable defense. They ran out with the same plan. They chased Westbrook around over screens. They were up really high on Pick so Sabonis couldn't recover to the basket. They were clamping down in weird ways in the lane. So sometimes the basket was wide open, and other times shooters were wide open. They couldn't keep up in transition. And in the regular season, you know what? Sometimes you can't really plan for one team for one game. And in the play-in, when you have to do that to come out like this with a, just a, a, a brutal game plan and an awful defensive game, was like the perfect encapsulation of the Pacers' problems this season. And they just got absolutely embarrassed. Yeah, we shouldn't mention that, like. Miles Turner only played in one of those four games. And they gave him 132. Yeah. But I, what I would say is Turner is probably the key to any defensive adjustment if they were didn't have any shot against his team, at least. So right? I, I brought the levels of the screens on purpose because like Beal and Westbrook would come around to pick and Sabonis is like above the free throw line. That was intentional. They wanted him up that high. That was schematic, clearly. And even Turner being up that high, like he can recover better than Sabonis. Now it'd help a little bit, but like he he can't keep up with those guys on a drive from there. Like there's only so much you can do and your game plan isn't working. So yes, Turner obviously helps. He's a fantastic defender, but I mean, there's a reason they didn't have Beal. Remember they still, they scored 132 without Beal on Turner, right? Like he helps a little, but I mean, they they just, they had nothing for the wizards all season. And to see the same game plan was just terrible. And they looked, I mean, the second and third quarters of this game were just awful. It, It was really, it was really sad to see the Pacers season in this way where they just looked like, a completely, completely overmatched basketball team. Well, the whole like game plan was could they make enough threes to match the Wizards? Basically, that was like the whole goal. They did get a lot of good looks from three, but they didn't make. They enough. did not make them. They I mean, saved all it makes for Charlotte. They needed to balance that. They out. went fifteen of forty-one from three. The horn or the wow, I almost said horns. The Wizards went fourteen of twenty-eight. So they made uh, the Wizards basically matched them in threes with like seventy uh, percent of the shots taken compared to them. I mean that was. That was basically, I mean, to me, when they they lost Turner this year, they had just, they basically kind of, and really, I think maybe since the Bjorkren 
what do you want to call them? Jake Fisher article, whatever that moment was, they had sort of given up on like playing like really good defense and just been like, can we just play fast enough and score enough to match? Like that had been always their game plan. Or, and and they, aban- they abandoned the zone stuff from that point on basically. And that helped too, because they didn't have any gimmicky bad possessions, but yes, yeah. Well, yes, but they really stopped playing defense. I mean, you look at their, like I, I got a their schedule. Just the the raw like, numbers are nothing to me because they played so fast. Like, I, well, that's part of it, right? They were going, they weren't even was actually better after that stuff. So, I, well, I I have a different opinion there than you. So I think it maybe wasn't their defense was better. I think their their offense was like way more efficient in those last, you know, let's call it six weeks and was at least like able to put up enough or like it made the defense not seem as bad because they're winning games by like 13 points like they're winning. You know, and then there's some kind of outliers like oh, Oklahoma City doesn't really count because they're <laughs> not a real basketball team. But like they were scoring 100 and, you know, and 33 to 126 with the Hawks game two weeks ago, right? I mean, that I don't think the defense was any I think it was probably better against the Hawks when they beat them earlier in the year when they stifled Trey Young, but I thought their offense was so much better than it was in that game that like it made the defense feel just even just a little bit better. On the ball out of the basket definitely helps your defense. So in this game, Sabonis had a triple-double, and I thought he played like bad. He's <laughs> the king bad. of that though, this season, right? I mean, he, he's had a couple of triple-doubles where the teams got just smoked. He got clamped often by Wizard centers. And he was so smothered that he couldn't really hit open guys. The Wizards were in the gaps while their defensive plan was pretty solid. Credit to them and Scott Brooks for making his life hell. And early in the game, Brogdon was excellent, right? Brogdon was probably the Basers' best player in this game to me, although he did have a few just, why are you taking these floaters after not passing the ball once shots? But anyway, they were keeping in it early because Brogdon was playing well. But once his shot stopped falling and... They went to this full bench unit to start the second quarter, and that group had could not create enough offense at all. Once they got out of rhythm and Brogdon wasn't producing and Sabonis was completely shut down, they couldn't get good looks. Their defense was bad, and it, it just got out of hand so fast. The Wizards looks like the best team in the NBA. If you only watch the Wizards against the Pacers, you would think the Wizards were the best team in the league. I mean, they, do you think Russell Westbrook is still 2012, 13? Yeah, yeah. Westbrook versus now? Plus 30. Uh, Westbrook was plus 30 in this game. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's worth noting over the past two seasons, the Pacers are basically 500 with bonus to triple double. So there's not really a lot of like correlation. Right. Like him putting up those kind of stats actually being like uh, leading to wins, I guess. Like where I feel like for at least for Westbrook this season, it hasn't really been way like career wise, but this season, I feel like his triple doubles have led to Wizards wins have been really impactful. I mean, I think Jim Michaels is on Twitter and kind yeah. of ripping a little bit from it. Like, there's a really difference between Sabonis and Triple It felt very, very empty tonight in Westbrook's where he didn't get there because he didn't play up in this because they were up in the fourth quarter. But like he really did like it felt like it was extremely impactful. And Sabonis just kind of felt like he just grabbing stats because the team was, was so bad from the third, basically the third quarter on. Right. And, the, the you know, the team's plan is on the coaching staff. Their execution on offense was obviously very poor. Their shot selection was poor. That's on the players. Another thing that I want to talk about the coach, a coaching staff misstep, I guess, is the rotation. Right. We talked about on Monday, even if these guys are healthy, eight guys, right? McConnell's going to be on the bench for sure. One big for a few minutes and then summer, right? Those are the guys we said, yeah, that should be the bench. Maybe a ninth guy you give Keelan Martin a few minutes. And against the Hornets, they played 10 guys and they got away with it. Like, let's be real. They got away with it. There was a moment at the beginning of the second quarter where that group didn't do as well, but they, they did just enough that they were fine. But to do it in this game, it, it killed them. They were down by one point at the end of the first quarter. They go full bench group. They cannot create any offense. They got bailed out by Keelan Martin three to start the quarter. Other than that, they couldn't create any offense. They couldn't stop Westbrook and going full bench against Westbrook in the game. Misstep for sure. Like this is why you shorten the rotation in these big games. So you don't have these minutes where Aaron holiday is just getting bowled around 
by Wizards guards and you don't have, you know, you just don't have mismatches all over the court. It was a, it was a big misstep. That's why you short, shorten the rotation in this game. They got away with it in the Charlotte game. And I think Bjork can try to do it again. And it was a big mistake. Yeah. Although, I mean, I don't know if health wise, they have the ability to play bargain as many as they think that he should play. I mean, he did how much do Brogdon at least how much do they have the like, sure. They have McConnell. I don't, I I don't you have to play Brogdon a lot. Yeah. But I'm wondering if there's some kind of discussion of like, he just, he's, probably pushing himself back from injury. Not that he's not like healthy, but like, could do you really want to play a guy who just come off injury, you know, 42 minutes, basically. I don't, in a game? I'm not even saying you do that. You don't have to play 10 guys. Yeah, but to win this game, you probably need to broaden to play in, in like high 30s. Like, really. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, that's not even relevant to what I was saying, but sure. He would have well, playing more would have been better. Because he was there. Yeah, but I'm saying they wanted the strength rotation. They needed to play. Like, they basically decided that they were going to give McDermott played 24 minutes. He was their best player in the first quarter. Yeah, but they, he should have played 37 minutes. Yeah, but the minutes thing gets a little confusing too because the, they were so out of this in the late third, fourth quarter that like the last 22 minutes of basketball didn't even matter. It felt like eight, maybe the yeah, last, the last eight, eight minutes were junk. Cassius Stanley played the last eight minutes. Well, they we were they were down what 25 heading into the fourth or something crazy like that. The competitive portion of the game ended with about four minutes to go in the third quarter. I would say. Yeah. Okay. So like there was a there was a good 16 minute stretch where we so like McDermott, so McDermott played, played 17 of the first uh, 35 minutes of competitive play. He should have played more. Who? McDermott. Yeah. Well. Okay. So he played. The, <laughs> yeah. Probably. No. You're not wrong. I mean, but I, I'm saying like. That could go across the board for Brogdon, for McDermott, for, for Holiday. The only guy who probably played minutes that made sense enough with Sabonis. He basically played till he fouled out. He yes, almost played the entire. But and I, I get it. I just I'm saying I'm wondering. In, like to me, the key to limit rotation is being able to play like the lineup. Basically, play a lineup of Sabonis, Holiday, McDermott, Brogdon, and McConnell. Right. That's like that was probably their best chance. And maybe <laughs> in case you put Brissett, you know, when he's he's shot okay from through the night, maybe you sub him in there for one of those guys. But they, I don't think they had the ability to play Brogdon 38 minutes. I think there is still some of that like concern about. That's pushing fine. Him I don't. Again. I don't think Brogdon playing 38 minutes is part of my shortened rotation. So sure. Okay. You think? Sure. But I, I'm not sure. Like I'm not sure playing McConnell, let's say 37, would have won this game. I guess. Uh, better than playing Aaron Holiday any minutes. Well, okay, that's fair. Aaron <laughs> terrible. <laughs> any any minutes. We he will be a frequent uh, frequently discussed player this offseason. All right. How many of those minutes that Aaron Holiday played with actually besides the second quarter were actually like. I guess that was probably it, right? He played probably five seconds. He played. He was in at the very end of the what I just called competitive portion of the game. Okay, in the third. It wouldn't be these really. Pacers season without us just weirdly divulging into uh, a, a mini feud about something that cost them in a massive thirty-point loss. Yeah, <laughs> to I a guess team that we is, thought they would beat. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was thinking is I, I just don't. I mean, like, I think the only one they would have won this game is if they played six players, and I'm just not sure they were going to do that. Yeah, right. It, if they had. Maybe convinced. Well, Summers isn't healthy enough. Like he looked still kind of in. So like really, you could play six guys and maybe play Goga, but Goga didn't even play that well tonight. So no. So like, and I just not sure you get away with playing six players in any any basketball game at any moment, unless it's Game Seven of the NBA Finals. Because like you gotta go play in two days, even if you win this game somehow. It was a mess. They got smoked, and their season's over. No playoffs for the Pacers. And after what they talked about in the summer, where they wanted to go, they changed coaches with playoffs on the mind to not even make it. Such a disappointing season, and that coaching change will be the subject of what we talk about next because that's going to be the biggest storyline entering this offseason. It was even the storyline right after the game. So let's do that. But first, let's take a little break. Talk about the awesome folks over at Theragun because don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. I just saw WTHR posted an article that Indianapolis is ready to run the most stressful cities to live in. 
in America. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to that site, Theragun, and check it out. And they have an app that learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. It's trusted by 250 professional sports teams such as Real Madrid and elite athletes like former Pacer Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers. Try Theragun 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on, all one word, right now. Get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's Theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N.com slash locked on. Try it today. All right, story of the offseason, for sure in Pacerland, right? You brought up the Jake Fisher article, although I still refer to it as the Woj and Sham stuff because we got, I think we got the relev- the, the more tailored to, to reality from what I've heard stuff from them. Not that Jake Fisher didn't hear stuff from legitimate people who had heard what they had heard, but just compared to what I've heard, it's those two. doesn't matter. Nate Bjorkren's job status. So after this game, Bob Kravitz just asked him straight up, hey, do you think you're coming back? Do you think you'll be the coach of this team next year, right? Straight up. He said, I'm not thinking about myself. He is such a player-focused guy, at least to the media. He talked about how he wants to talk to the players. He wants to go back and talk to the players and focus on them and this season for them before he talks about what's next with him. Greg Doyle, Indy Star. Our article's already up. Go read Greg Doyle. I'm sure Kravitz will be up in the morning. Greg Doyle asks Brogdon, basically straight up, do you like playing for Nate Bjorker? And he says, Brogdon says, we really tried for Coach. What I can say to that is, Coach really just did his best this year, regardless of the reports, regardless of the distractions. I appreciate everything he did for me and the team. Personally, I had a career year. I just told him that. A lot of stuff that came in about you. The players really enjoyed playing for Nate this year. So public comments from McConnell and Brogdon and others have been glowing for him. The private co- reports have been awful for him. And there's a, a nice little mixture, of course, of what is actually real and what isn't in these reports. So what do you think is next for Bjorken, Adam? How many days? We give it over under, what, three and a half? Monday? Um, Over Monday? probably. I mean, they got to get back. To, I don't know. I don't know. Six and a half, five and a half, six and a half. I don't think he'll be the coach of the team next year. I think you agree with me there. Yeah, um, I, I mean, so... An interesting sign I thought was I don't you didn't watch you were at uh you watched the TNT broadcast for the game or did you watch I did I did okay so there was there was one point probably second quarter I want to say it might have been third where he's kind of yelling at his players I think it was second quarter because they were still kind of in the game they were down probably 10 12 but there was a charge thing well no yeah he was yelling at them to get back basically on on defense so they were just watching guys shoot and then getting killed in transition and so then I like just started like, I'm like, okay, let's watch the next. It, it, I assumed it was a timeout before then it might not have been, but it was somewhere. And then I'm like, let's watch the next, you know, four or five positions to see if they actually run back on defense. And nobody really did. Like there was not the, any like extra intensity. And I think it kind of just showed the team was just kind of done. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a Sunday they're done with the season with him, but it feels like they're just kind of done. So I would doubt he comes back. Yeah. So I think that we we've kind of broken it down like this before, and I still feel the exact same way. Right. I, like personally, I think his X's and O strategies and, and philosophy are pretty good, but not at all for the Pacers roster, right? Like not at all. And maybe they change the roster, maybe they don't. Irrelevant to this discussion, though. His style of coaching alone, just on basketball terms, clearly was not good for the Pacers. They went 34 and 38. They were good last year. They were the fourth seed last year. They went 34 and 38. 
They had to sneak in past the Charlotte Hornets to play a one game to make the playoffs, and they couldn't even win that game, right? So clearly his basketball acumen and strategy with this team, he's a rookie head coach. I understand everything not being perfect, but wasn't correct. That alone would not get you fired. You're a rookie head coach. That said, the other thing they really wanted out of their next head coach was strong communication skills, right? That was Pritchard's number one thing. And that's where the reports really make this all hazy and make his future very murky, is that he was terrible at that. For everything said about him, in every report, everything that I've heard, he's t- he was terrible at that, right? I think Jay Michael, the Indy Star, said on Derek Schultz's podcast, he would like kiss up and piss down or something like that was the exact phrasing, right? So people above him, he was very nice to, and people below him, it was more abrasive, right? So you, he didn't do either of the things that he was supposedly brought in to do. And I think that if, if you can't do either of the things that you're hired to do, why should you be employed again? So I, I don't know why he'd be back besides like money, I, money, basically, I was going to say, and like a, a sparing of like, a, I don't even know what to call it. Like, what's the earliest of se- a coach has been fired in the season? Like you have like you have 10 games or something, but I would I would put it overwhelmingly more likely that he is not the coach of the team next year. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking like the, the shortest tenure I can think of is uh, there's a, a soccer coach back in the 80s who lost like 44 days with his new club. But I don't know in basketball what the shortest one is, frankly. I'm sure he, B line last year has to be close. I mean, he got fired for He got to the 30s, and, I think. Well, did, did David Black get fired at the 30 of his first year too, right? I honestly don't remember. Someone with the, I thought it was Ty Lue who got fired at the beginning of a Cav season. No, but like to, I thought David Black got fired like 35 games into his like NBA career. As a head oh, no. What? David Black yeah. coached them for two seasons. Did he? And then he got – wait. When did he get – David oh, Black you know, right, coached he, them for a full season, lost in the finals, and then coached 41 games the next year. Tyler started off the 2018-19 season 0-6 and, and got fired. That is really early. Six. Yeah, but wasn't Tyler the coach for like three years before then? So I don't know. I mean, like, well, yeah, I know. I'm just saying. I just mean like shortest tenure from like, like when they began to when they got fired. And Beeline's probably gotcha. in B-line Pacer is, in Pacerville. Um, it's hard to really find. I'm saying Beeline has to be one of the shortest because he barely he didn't even get the full year. And yeah, he got um, 54 games. Yeah, so he's probably so Bjorken beat him already. <laughs> 19 games, good for him. Um. I now forget the point I was going to make about no. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was just, I, I don't think they would bring him back and be like, you have to start off amazing or anything. I no. Okay. Now I remember what I was going to say. So my thing would be is, is some guys I think are meant to be number twos behind the scenes. And for what it sounds like in Toronto, he was really good at being that. Like he was really good at playing off of um, Nick nurse and they had a really good banter and they had really good, like coaching, pushing repertoire. And that kind of was really successful. It's kind of like sometimes you're meant to be an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and not a head coach in the NFL. Like, I think Rex Ryan's, for example, of this. Um, so, like, it's just sometimes you're just not meant to be the coach because you just either you don't know how to manage people that way, and but you're really good at X and O's or you, like that. I think that's where he kind of falls. Where I'm sure he does seem like he has some really good ideas, knows how to like innovate a little bit, but he doesn't necessarily know how to like manage the entire team. And that's that's a big aspect of being an NBA coach. I mean, we've actually seen it probably as a coach, you're better off just being good at managing talent than you are actually at X and O's because most of the league, at right. least the top talent, it's like, it's like, I mean, I'm, you know, Frank Vogel, good coach, but I'm not sure, you know, a lot and Ty Lue, I guess is a good coach, but like a lot of that is just managing LeBron and letting LeBron kind of dictate the team. And so like, I'm just not sure how, like much value there's just in a plain X and O's guy as your head right. coach, at least. Well, remember at the beginning of the year, we had Brogdon and Sabonis calling him a genius. And I think some of that was true. They really liked his X's and O's philosophies, but it's also a breath of fresh air compared to McMillan who they didn't like playing for per some reporting, right? And McMillan, season- in hindsight, though, it was just 
like good, the consistent. Like he made wasn't great, and we'll see. Yeah, I mean, be hilarious if he went to play series with Atlanta this year, like super easily. But um, he just was like a rock solid, like professional. Yeah, even beyond just what McMillan meant. I just early in the year, I think that they just they didn't like playing for McMillan. They were really happy with where they were at, and then as the season went on, that. That changed. Grass isn't always green on the other side. Quite a bit, yeah. But you know, the, again, the public comments over the course of the end of the season have been, you know, much better than I was expecting, given the the damning nature of the report. I don't do it. I I think I agree with you. He's. I mean, you would probably know better than me, but I don't think he is like as bad as it was made out to be. No. I think maybe he wasn't nice to certain people, and that could be it. But you know, sometimes people aren't nice to certain people in general because they don't. For whatever reason, they don't gel together. And he was going, he just remember too, a lot of the assistants that were there um, and a lot of just the staff have been there forever and made it say with a lot of NBA teams, but like the Pacers especially really haven't had like a major like change in like coaching and training staff and since in a decade, right? Because it was Vogel, but Vogel and Nick Nolan was part of Vogel staff. So they kept a lot of the same guys. So it's been like a long entrenched time. And even before Vogel, really a lot of the Carlisle guys were bird guys who were still hung over when Bird became the, the, the president 10 years ago too. So a lot of the guys have been there for decades, right? So there's a lot of that like entrenched and he was sort of like the outsider to that kind of thing. Um, so it, it is, it's tough to do overcome all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We will, we will certainly see what, what they decide to do with him again. I think we both kind of agree what we think is going to happen as for if it does happen and when it happens, we'll see, we could be talking about that um, well into next week and into the off season. And maybe once it happens, we can talk about potential replacements. I don't know if I want to do that bef- just on speculation alone, but um, we'll see what happens. I think that's going to be the story to watch at the start of this off season. And we'll cover all the off season moves and what we expect next week. Next week, we'll start off season week, but let's do one more thing today. The season's over. We made it Adam through our fourth full season, covering this team. And Adam had a good idea. Let's talk about the season versus the expectations for this season because it feels really disappointing and it is, but Adam had some points to bring up. So let's do that. But first one more break to talk about the awesome folks over at betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball is in full swing. You can get in on all that action over at betonline.ag. Plus they have NBA, NHL, NFL, when it's going, everything UFC, MMA action on there. It's got everything you need. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. For example, the Warriors, four-game favorites over the Grizzlies tomorrow. You can get in on that over at BetOnline.ag. Go check them out. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you sign up and use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, when you do so. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, so Adam approached this idea to me, and I thought it was good. The season versus expectations. Players before the season said, we want to make the playoffs. We want to win a lot of games. And the moves the Pacers made, firing Nate McMillan and bringing a new coach, suggested they wanted to be better than the fourth seed. That said, that said, we both predicted, We ha- I'm glad we kept this tab with our 2021 NBA predictions. I had them seventh in the East, and Adam also had them seventh in the East, Right. The Heat made it to the finals. Everybody thought they would be good. The Celtics were still underwhelming, but they finished above the Pacers. The Nets got some superstars. The Sixers got better. The Bucks got better. The Hawks got better. The Wizards got Russell Westbrook, right? It was manageable that all these teams could finish ahead of the Pacers, and they were looking like the seventh-best team heading into the season. And they finished ninth, and they had every injury up and down, and they were bad this year, right? They were definitely worth an expectation, even with the injuries. But compared to what everybody thought, 
in the standings wise, it was only a little bit different, right? Yeah. I mean, we were, I mean, so two teams exceed expectations like wildly for us, I guess maybe one and the other one was kind of half, right? We both, at least looking at the tab, you had the Knicks, you had both the Knicks as the, the second worst team in the East this year. And they were, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you just take that and that totally, that month and eight right away. The Hawks, we both had hanging right around behind. the Pacers. Basically right behind them. Yeah. So that wasn't as surprising. I think if you told me for the, oh, the Hawks would be better than the Pacers slightly, they were much better, but I wouldn't have been surprised because the Hawks kind of made some moves that were pretty decent. So I think on that scale, you have to view the Pacers were like slightly worse than we thought. Now, the record wise, I would have said they should have been a 500 plus team, whether they were the seven race that they were going to be a 500 or above. I thought they used to be really good this year. Turned out wasn't that way, but part of that was the season. I mean, most of the season, everything was like really clustered. Like, like right, I want to say like we were like six, like fifty-five games in, and most of the East teams were under five hundred that were in the playoffs or at five hundred, right? I mean, like yep. wasn't the four seed like five hundred for most of the year until the last yep. maybe six weeks of the season when they all started beating up on the bottom five teams in the East, basically like a ton more. So on that scale, they weren't as bad as we. I mean, they weren't like that far off. On the other scale too, you look at the injuries. I mean, if you told me Warren's missed the whole year, they were gonna they were Trail Depot, and the replacement guy was going to be gone for two months. That they were gonna lose Miles Turner for two months of the season or six weeks, whatever it was. I also might have said this might have been the outcome. So I'm not sure they fell that far from like expectations. And then adding in the factors that if you had told me before and were gonna happen, I would have probably guessed somewhere close to this. Maybe I would have thought they could have survived, but I didn't think they. I'm not sure I would have thought they would have been anywhere competitive though without at least two of their top five. I think raw raw results wise, I agree with you in that, you know, seven to nine and they were fractions, one win. If they sweep the Kings, they're eight, right? Like that's so weird to say, by the way. But, you know, it's that close of a line to being very close to where we thought where it's like, yeah, injuries clearly are the reason they are clearly a big reason why they didn't reach what their expectation was. And I have, by the way, I'm going to write this piece. I don't want to spoil too much, but I asked every player except for Doug McDermott. I asked every player who did a post-game presser after the Wizards game. So Justin Holiday, Nate Bjorker's not a player, but Justin Holiday, Nate Bjorker, and Sabonis, and Brogdon. I said, hey, you guys all thought you'd be good this year and wanted to win games in the playoffs. That was your goal. And you didn't even make the playoffs, right? What needs to change? And all of them, in part of their answer, were like, get healthy, right? And duh, they were super hurt. They were one of the more hurt teams in terms of their starters in the entire NBA. Now that Brogdon had more of an answer, they all had more of an answer than that. To an extent, but Brogdon had a, a, a bigger answer than that, and I'll save that for the article. But that was the first thing that came out of most of their mouths, and I thought that was very telling, right? Even though that that they know that they should have played better, and I think we as fans who watch the team know that too, right? There were clearly some games that even when they were healthy, they stunk it up, or their scheme was bad, or even some games when they weren't healthy, they still should have won, and the scheme was bad. But injuries certainly played a big factor as well. So well, compared, compared to expectations, a lot went on. Yeah, I mean – we should look at this in, in kind of a two-step, right? So they make the Oladipo trade, not knowing Warren's status fully. I don't think by then, at least I don't. At least it wasn't publicly known, right, that he was going to have surgery, or that he was like going to be out for as long as he was, right? So they make the Oladipo trade because you and I talked about early, early in the season. Oh, maybe they have too much offense. So like, even if one guy is hurt, they're fine. Like Warren was playing like as the fifth option. It felt like a tender fourth option in the two games he played. And like that's such a luxury for Warren, who was their best offensive player last season. But then, so they, they lose Warren, and then they trade Oladipo, and the guy that trade Oladipo also doesn't play. And right there, all of a sudden, that luxury of offense becomes all of a sudden, like, no offense. Like, they lose, let's say, a combined, like, 40 points a game in those two in that two moves. 
And so like, that's where the season ended in my opinion. And that's what we said at the time. They, they chose this short-term loss for a, what they thought was a good deal, which it was because they weren't getting any better at Depot. Definitely. They got, they sold high, like really freaking high on him. But like that moment right there was when the season was lost because that's when they went on their tailspin right after that, they were eight and four that trade. And since then they, what well, they finished the season with they won 26 and they went 26 and 34 the rest of the way. I mean, that, that was the moment where it was lost and, I don't, I don't know if it's anything that more complex than that. That's definitely a big factor. I agree with you there. And like there was a time in mid-April they where all five of their opening night starters were out at the same time. They started O'Shea Brissett and Jakar Sampson. Like, I think that is, a, that is, there's my Pacer season summary. I have two sentences. One, swept by the Kings. Two, started O'Shea Brissett and Jakar Sampson. I, in the same I, I do wonder in a year from now, and we'll go through this next year, if they are able to get to – Oh, they'll be hundred percent because no team will be hundred healthy, but they get to playing their starters. Let's say 75% to 80% of the games as like all five. We'll look back and be like, Oh, actually that, that bad season was actually worth it. Cause they, we saw O'Shea who turned into this kind of player, actually a decent role player, which to me, he definitely has that future. He, he was pretty good in the two playing games. Um, in my opinion, and like how huge is it for it? I'm sorry. I want to just, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Love on O'Shea for a second. How huge is it for a team that is, has been awful at drafting for a decade, as we talked about to just nail a 22-year-old for in shining. I mean, that well, is I think massive. the other thing too is this roster had a had a uh, what's the right way? Not enough forwards when the year started. No, 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 right. no, they, no, they did not. And that was part of the problem by losing their top forward was they didn't really have any other guys who could play the four in their roster. Wait, you mean Jeremy Lamb playing the four wasn't good? Or Duffy Dermott playing the four wasn't good, right? And Karis they Levert played the four for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's my, I mean, they basically just they basically came the season with with one four and a guy that were going to play at the four because they had to play their two centers together, basically. Um, when like we all agreed after last season, the bubble Warren probably should be the four ish if he can at times because it looked pretty solid offensively, at least. Um, and they'd figured it out defensively over time, hopefully. So, yeah, that that was part of also the problem is they came in with so little forwards and then. Basically, both guys playing forwards got hurt, right? Turner was playing forward, at least on the offensive end, he got hurt. Now, that this all said, this whole discussion said of comparing the season to expectations, this offseason should absolutely 100% not be, oh, we'll get healthy and run it back. No way. Oh, no, yeah, no. no way. If that is what the Pacers do, I mean, they should receive a so, lot of criticism. So, actually, so I – they changed the coach, and we we if they don't do that, that's a whole other discussion. We just did it before. Well, if they don't change the coach, then they need to change the roster even more. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> if they change the coach, do they need to change the roster? I mean, like Adam, what's available? I Adam. guess that's the point. What, what, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Adam. Yes, go ahead. You want me to pull up uh, the 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 lineup pairing stats for Sabonis and Turner again? We did yeah, this like much. once a month. No, but I stopped. They were really bad for the end of the season, so I stopped. I and they had hadn't played in five weeks. They're not in place since like April seventh. Uh, you know, there was a remember all last year. I was like, you know, I want to see him in the playoffs. I want to. But see there was no Warren. Tony. They didn't even get to the playoffs. There was. They never play a line. With I know. Brogdon, I know there are a lot of factors. Two centers. I don't I know. I I get the conflicting factors, but like, come on, like, come on. so he, my my problem they tried like, to break it up last summer. Right? Yeah, but my, but my problem is is the. Sort is, of. The forward they needed was Gordon Hayward, and they didn't get him. I'm, who is the other guy they're going to get to play three or four? You know what? Okay. We will see. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, you know why be. we? You know why I say we will see? Because some of these teams could have just a a disaster playoffs and change it. So we'll see. Yeah, because yeah. well, because like you, you could getting ahead of ourselves, Adam. This is a next week discussion. No, I know, but if they had gotten Gordon <laughs> Gordon Hayward, and the other stuff had not gone as bad as it was, 
I'd be really confident in this team going forward. Of like, ah, I mean, Hayward obviously. What else time. happens at fantasy land? Well, but like that, like <laughs> that trade should have happened. The fact that it did happen is also ridiculous. And is Cassius Stanley really good in this? No, in this but <laughs> but like Boston being just complete freaking idiots is like, oh yeah, we're gonna resign Hayward even if we even if even if you don't we don't yeah. trade we want we want seven assets for Gordon Hayward who we can't even resign. What are we gonna call the season in five years? The Danny Ainge season or the Nate Bjorkman season? <laughs> I don't know, but I mean for Boston that, that was uh, Boston basically tanked both teams this year by not making that move. And then neither the Pacers or the Hornets made the postseason. <laughs> what a season it was. Well, the Hornets would have actually probably if Hayward stayed healthy, which is also a big if because Hayward doesn't stay healthy any season in God knows how long. But like they were really good with Hayward. So as we just mentioned for a while, offseason stuff is coming. Next week, we'll probably lay out some offseason. Let me rephrase that. Next week, we'll definitely be laying out some offseason topics, potential blueprints, key dates, what they need to consider. Probably not too many specifics. We'll get into that later in the offseason, but... Definitely high level stuff. And that's everybody likes hearing that stuff. And seems got a lot of tough decisions to make this offseason. And now, if you'll let me be sentimental for a moment, thank you all very much for listening to us every day, every weekday for the last six months. It is incredibly fun making these podcasts and talking with Adam all the time and watching the Pacers and knowing that I am a part of people's day every day is both weird and super cool. So thank you all very much for listening every day. Yeah, we really appreciate it. I mean, this podcast is nothing without you guys out there. (laughs) Otherwise, it's just two guys yelling about stuff on a a Zoom call. I hope we made this miserable Pacers season much more fun for you. Yeah, and as as you can see, Tony and I have more disagreements about the offseason than we do about the regular season most of the time. So (laughs) we're just hitting hitting the fun part. We're totally going to yell a lot about what we thought went wrong. What we think, who they should hire, who they should trade for, who they should sign. So we're just we're just getting into the fun part of what they call like the real NBA season sometimes. So again, thank you all so much for listening. And as we end every pod with, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the start of the playoffs. And we will see you guys to pivot to off-season mode on Monday.